0: Broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is
1: I Doubt It Podcast with Brittany Page and Jesse Dalimore.
0: Fighting fascism on an episode-by-episode basis. Welcome to I Doubt It Podcast, episode 859. I am your host, Jesse Dallimore, joined today by your host, Brittany Page, everybody.
2: Fighting fascism, also rats. And I know people are going to be like, really? Again, with the rats. Well,
0: rats could be considered fascists if we anthropomorphize them. (laughs)
2: Yes. (laughs) Yes, <laughs> they are still terrorizing me. They will continue to terrorize me. Yeah, and they will be—they will be here long after we're gone. I hear that's—that's how—that's how, that's how uh, tenacious they are. Not They're going to they survive.
0: Keep, not if they keep hanging out in our trash can, like the one who we thought was dead.
2: Well, let's yes. So I thought that I murdered a rat in the trash can because it was having a midday hang in the bottom of the trash can. Normally. It's only nighttime that you need to worry about when it comes to the rats. They come out at night, I thought. Yeah. That is not the case. I now have encountered several rats in the middle of the day, including one that had fashioned a branch directly into a trash can, like had bent it down into the trash can, so it's using it as a tool. And Fashioned.
0: A branch
2: into a ladder, fashioned it into a ladder into the <laughs> into the trash can, and when I came near the trash can, it climbed up the branch out of the trash and ran away. Wow, yes, the
0: story has really seen an evolution,
2: okay, well, that's a different instance, so now I'll go back to the other rat that was having a midday hang.
0: this rat I mean, let's you know it's it's a snack, it's a midday snack
2: i I don't know what it was doing. It could have just been taking a nap. I don't I don't really know what it was doing in there, but it was hanging out and I opened the lid, saw it. I didn't scream this time. However, I did throw the bag in and run away. Yeah. Because that's what you do when you see a rat. They There was
0: a shockingly um the event was bereft of of screeching. Yes. You, you weren't like a what I would expect you to do, which was react vocally.
2: Well, I have acclimated to the mm. rat climate here, mm-hmm. and I <laughs> am adjusting slowly to being continuously terrorized by the rats. And so anyway, I was afraid <laughs> that I had murdered the rat because the bag was quite heavy.
0: You were afraid or you hoped that some death had occurred.
2: Well, I feel like it's complicated because then you have a dead rat in the trash can, and that-
0: like it's thrown away with the trash
2: not here. Uh, That doesn't always happen. The trash cans are not always emptied. I don't think they pick them up and turn them upside down. I think they just grab the bags out and grab half of them.
0: Whether they're shredded by rats and then the the contents therein just collapse into the trash can.
2: Listen, and that's not an indictment of of the sanitation workers. I would probably do that too if I was doing that job. So I uh, went out to check. You went out to check because I I didn't want to go look in the trash can. Right. And you said that it looked dead,
0: yeah, I saw a little a little not moving rat feet like a little rat paw, like maybe he went from having a hang or a snack to having a nap,
2: yes, permanent,
0: yeah, well, that's what I thought it was just a the perma sleep, but
2: spoiler alert, but
0: again, I went out there hours later or the next day and no, little paws weren't there anymore. He was desperate to get out Oh, the trash can.
2: Yeah, I think he was stuck. Yeah. I think he didn't know how to get back out. The ladder
0: that apparently had been fashioned.
2: No, This didn't is a work. different trash can. Oh, it's a different can. rat. This is a different, different trash can. can. Different rat, possibly. I don't know. I don't keep track of them. I don't give them names. Well, for those of you who don't
0: know, when we moved to D.C., mm-hmm. we discovered that living amongst the rats... Well, it was just something you have to get used to. Yeah. In fact, it was su- such an interesting topic to us that we, we hosted on the show rodentologist, uh, Bobby Corrigan. Correct. Which if you want to go back into the catalog and listen to that episode, very interesting.
2: Yes. But we but actually I mean, we still get calls from people. They they email us, they call us, and they say I'm I'm trying to reach Bobby Corrigan for help.
0: Yeah, they think we're we're his agent or something. Like we're gonna connect them to please, please, I'm desperate. Like we don't
2: it's sad cuz you can you can hear the desperation in their voice. Yeah, They're like yeah. I need help. I have a rat problem and it's it's not good. Not it's not ideal.
0: good here either. Well, you know what's shocking about it? And then we'll move on here we we got a whole bunch to talk about. The the country is collapsing around us, but let's let's deal with the important issues of the rat. The rat. Wow. <laughs> no, no, no. Is um we we just moved, new studio, new place we're living in, and we got brand new trash cans. And it took inside of 10 days for the rats to chew razor like uh holes into the trash can yeah i mean it's like a like a laser etching that just removed a part of the trash can that's how determined they are to get to the contents therein
2: well, and really that's the problem. We're gonna make no dent in this problem at all. Yeah. It's something that rodentologist Bobby Corrigan talked about when he came on the show that you can be you can you can do all that you should be doing to ensure that your area, your home, your space is clean and you're you're keeping things tidy to keep the rats away. But if you have one house on the block that yeah. is not following that rule. It doesn't matter what you're doing. And so that is often the case. But also, they are not providing the city trash cans that are rodent proof.
0: Or even rodent resistance. I mean, they're cutting through the trash cans that are hard plastic, hard. They're cutting through it like butter.
2: Yeah, because one of the rules is when you put your trash in the can, ensure that the lid is closed. It should be like sealed up. Yeah. But that doesn't matter if they just chew right through it.
0: Yeah. yeah. I mean it's it's like their uh, their superpower is just transporting themselves into the trash can through the wall of the can. Yeah. <laughs> so.
2: Yeah, so it's a nightmare and it will continue to be a nightmare, but at least I am getting better at handling it when I encounter them. It's I just not kind as of alarming. give them a, way to, a wave, a knowing wave. I'm like, "Hey, yeah, we're good. Just yeah. don't come near me." Well, that
0: is good. We would uh <laughs> let's move on but it is it is good to know that you're acclimating and the terror is decreasing or subsiding even a little bit yes let's get to some listener communication before we do i want to drop the phone number 657-464-7609 of course you can email a voice memo from your smartphone to idoubtit at com. let's Let's let, let let's shift into some some policy analysis mode. We've been having an ongoing conversation on the program about uh, the AR15. We had a caller call in angry. He would not stand for the demonization of the AR15, his favorite bowling pin target practice weapon, gun, sporting utility and uh it has sparked an ongoing conversation so let's start with a call from randy in indiana
3: hi my name is randy caldwell from indiana and uh, what's just what's the thing where the guy objected to your complaining about an ar-15 um i recognize a lot of what he said those are talking points from ted nugent and the nra my little brother is a victim to listening to all that stuff too um I know that an AR-15 is a very deadly weapon, even though they claim it's the same as a 22 caliber, it is not. Uh, Ted Nugent would claim that a shotgun fires more bullets in one blast than an AR-15 with a 30-round magazine, which is of course propaganda, um, because a shotgun shoot, shoots at one shot. I personally have an old shotgun, I don't use it much, uh, but it would be much better for home defense or defending my livestock against a predator or hunting than an AR-15. My, my big complaint with an AR-15 is one, it is a 30-round magazine, which you can carry as many AR-15 magazines as you can put in a bag with you, and two, it is a uh, very powerful bullet that can go through a concrete block. Um, a 22 long rifle bullet is designed to shoot at a rabbit or a small game, but still, it is a lethal bullet but it's not as lethal as an AR-15. A 223 or a 5.56 is a lethal weapon. That's why it has been used in the United States military for uh, 60 years now. And it has done a very commendable job for our military. In my opinion, the military and law enforcement are the only ones who ought to have the stupid thing. Um, But what the man was saying, who was complaining and cussing at you and necessarily on the air, was all based on uh, the NRA talking points and what Ted Nugent puts out there as propaganda, and Ted Nugent knows better. He's been into uh, firearms his whole life, but uh, a lot of these people think a gun is a toy. A gun is a tool, and it's supposed to be used for what it's supposed to be used for. In the days before I got crippled up and I used to go out, my gun was a tool to go hunting with or to keep predators out of our livestock, and uh, luckily I've never had to, but if I had to, a shotgun is far superior for defending your home uh, against uh, a, a predator than uh, would be an M16 or an AR-15, um, because those guns are designed to shoot through walls. And, uh, (laughs) that's not what I want to do. So anyway, um, I hope I'm not rambling on, but,
0: um... Oh, Google, uh, cut you off, Randy, before you were starting to ramble. You didn't seem like you were rambling on. Uh l- let me say this. This is an argument I'm seeing a lot in response to this on comments to the the episode on on YouTube that we we're now putting a lot of the episodes here that we record for the podcast on YouTube and then so it opens up a whole new section of dialogue and people are able to talk. I'm seeing this comment a lot even on Twitter it, that it's not a deadly weapon it's the 223, the, two, two, the 556 five, and they're, they're they're talking about the caliber of the weapon and all this and the the size of the round If it wasn't as deadly as it is, why would the military choose to use the AR-15, which is just called the M16A2? Why would the military use it if it's just, ah, it's just a sporting gun. It's just good for rabbits. That's nonsense. The reason the military uses it is because it delivers death and destruction at long range accurately, expeditiously. So, that argument just doesn't hold water. It, j- it just does not. Unless you're going to ignore the actual history of the design and the development of the weapon by Armalite in the 50s.
2: Well, I appreciate Randy saying that Ted Nugent should know better. I was...
0: <laughs> That's wishful thinking, I right? I was
2: surprised by that line. Well, I'm sure that Ted Nugent does know better and is intentionally spreading propaganda. But, yes, I mean, do we're a little... Ted Nugent is a concerning person, I think. And same with Kid Rock. Kid Rock was just shooting up his Bud Light because they're all mad about Bud Lights now because of the <sighs> uh, trans endorsement or I, I'm, I'm not sure totally what's happening there, but they're shooting up their Bud Light and throwing it in the garbage it's and like, filming themselves doing it.
0: It's the new Kaepernick jersey. Yeah. I spent good... I saw one like TikTok or something. Somebody did a mega thread of all these jackasses and the guy went from like out to his shed and emptied his fridge and like dumped the beer in the trash and then went to his to, like the beer fridge in the in the in the garage and dumped all the beer into the just what are you doing, dude? Just don't buy any more. Yeah, drink what you got if that's the beer you like, and then and then don't buy any more.
2: They got to make content. It so,
0: It turns all of these idiots into content creators.
2: Yeah, <laughs> they need some content. That's it. Ah,
0: uh, just nonsense anyway thank you randy for the call yes. um i believe this is on the the same issue is it not the yep. next call
4: hey justin britney uh this is josh in regards to the guy calling about defensive ar-15 uh, it, the, the argument for it being a, a home defense weapon is not a good one in my opinion uh First off, like how much you have to be well-trained to constantly trained to be able to like, you know, use it properly and with, you know, act with, with accuracy. Um, and I'm guessing that guy doesn't do that. And even if he did, doesn't necessarily matter. Um, it's not really good for home defense also because of the, the you know, how loud it can be and disorienting for the person doing the shooting, especially if you're waking, if you're doing it from wake. You're not going to be accurate. You're not going to be at your best again, unless you're trained. Um, and the other thing to consider is, is like, we had to do a lot of training in the military. So that's like, you know, even that's a, you know, that's a thing that has to happen for it to be any good to compensate for any sort of adrenaline and other stuff like that too. That's why we have the box drills and all that other stuff. But, um, the, the other thing is, is that like, it's, it's overpowered for that, uh, need. And. Well, I've heard various arguments and seen various arguments about over penetration bullshit or not bullshit. Doesn't matter. It's too powerful for what for that that need. And even if it's not too powerful, where you if you have kids, it's not a good idea because for it to be able for you to be able to get it quickly, it has to be able to be gotten quickly. And likely that means not being in a safe. Or so it's like one or the other. So like I think I've heard. Uh, either one or you, you or Brittany both make that argument. Um and so that's a bad argument. It doesn't work. It's it's you're it's just not feasible. Um so anyway, love the show. Uh the best part. Y'all have a good day. Bye. Love the show, Brittany's the best part.
0: The, the interesting thing is is kind of a, a a playoff of what your take is. It's not a playoff. I'm just going to repeat the thing you say. Is that all these conservatives oftentimes they want to look at themselves as Jason Bourne, as some superhero, CIA operative, and it's the same with these types who want to use the AR-15 and they talk about home defense, and they they envision themselves, they fantasize themselves as as a, a an urban combat door to door kicking in doors and 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 engaging the enemy and clearing the room and they have a team behind them that's not what's going to happen in a home invasion type of situation where they're defending their home it's you're going to be in the middle of the night likely you're going to come down the stairs and you're not going to be able to aim accurately in the dark in your home If you're talking about home defense, a shotgun is by far a more uh, useful weapon in this scenario because you just generally aim where you want to fire. You slap the trigger and then your target is neutralized or you could use a smaller gauge shotgun and, and hurt, maim, wound and not kill and scare them away. An AR-15 is for a proficient user of the weapon, which is what Josh was getting to there. And your 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 fantasies notwithstanding, it's not the weapon
2: to use for home defense. Well, it's funny that you brought up my Jason Bourne line because that's what my response is to I this. I love it. <laughs> it's what my response is to this voicemail because uh, I've I've been noticing a pivot online from people acting like they would be Jason Bourne in these situations, you know, acting like, them having a gun during a mass shooting would then allow them to neutralize the target immediately and mm-hmm. take care of the threat, whatever. I'm noticing a pivot from believing they're Jason Bourne to now saying that the presence of a gun would give them the chance. It would give oh, them right. give them an opportunity, a possibility of surviving and, and a chance to take out the yeah. shooter. So now they're like acknowledging okay, it's not super realistic that I'm Jason Bourne. And I, I'm probably not going to be able to, like, you know, act in the way that I would in my head. Yeah. But it would just give me the chance to do that. The possibility exists. Well, the,
0: the moving of the goalpost is such a classic Republican conservative talk. I mean, the way that's the way they deal with everything. It's, oh, this argument is, is now falling apart. It's crumbling before my very eyes. Oh, let's move the goalpost, and then I'll use this as an argument. And that's what you're seeing there, is people realize... That even trained, hardened, steely-eyed cops in Uvalde were standing around sanitizing their hands in the hallway and not protecting the children they were there to actually protect. Yeah. If you think you're going to be some Jason Bourne type, when you have zero training, zero acumen in this area, you are fooling yourselves and the rest of us are laughing at you while you fool yourself.
2: It would be great to be Jason Bourne, though. Fantastic, <laughs> would be. I would love it.
0: I would not. You, you, you got you're on the run all the time. You, there's no like. Oh, let's just go out to dinner tonight. No, you got to be watching over your shoulder.
2: Well, what a miserable life. You get to take a book off the shelf, punch someone through a book. Great move. <laughs> Standout scene. Love it.
0: I will say that that series holds up, and like the the the, the sequels from a from a sequel perspective, you know most movies they they, they just like the the fast and the i haven 't seen any of those movies, but i'm assuming none of them hold up because the first one just seemed like trash too now i'm way out of my element, but you know sequels they tend to they diminish in in return is over that a time.
2: is that a tattoo i see peeking can what does that say fast five fast <laughs> ten what is that
0: yeah i got the whole the whole cast in 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 photograph tattoos on my back
2: yeah there's a Vin
0: Diesel, first prominently displayed. There's
2: a saying from the movie about family that... I, they,
0: isn't that kind of a running theme?
2: There's some sort of saying in the movie, I think, and I was going to reference in my tattoo joke, which didn't go over super well. Okay, so <laughs> we are going to now read an email about about the same topic, guns. This this really lit a fire under everyone, and we got a lot of yeah, yeah, yeah. communication about it, so this and is good. an email.
0: Good, we want to hear from everybody.
2: Yeah. Greetings, I hope you are well. Hopefully I can keep this succinct for us both. I know that firearms are a very knee-jerk topic, and people have a tendency to react in lieu of listening and considering first to the misfortune of us all. America has a massive and very real problem with violence. At the moment, it's gun violence. I know a lot of people want to eliminate guns from the equation. I don't have an opinion about that in particular, and no identity or emotional attachment that colors my relationship with weapons. They exist, and so do wrenches and toasters. But what I don't seem to hear from anyone is what comes next if the guns go away but the violence doesn't. After all, it is the violence that we actually want to eliminate, right? As an analogy, if you love apple pies and you want to lose weight, would eliminating apples cause you to lose weight? Maybe you actually just love eating pies and you'd just switch to pecan pies and gain weight rather than losing it. Ironically, the apple part of the pie may have been the healthiest part. My worry is that after we eliminate guns, if we don't do anything to address the circumstances that result in gun violence, we'll just switch to pecan violence, or bombs. As I understand it, homemade bombs are easier to make than homemade guns, and as a bonus, you don't need to be on-site line of sight or vulnerable to arrest or neutralization when they do their thing. I've seen the aftermath of bombings. If I was going to be present for somebody's act of violence, I think I'd rather take my chances with them carrying a gun rather than planting bombs. Okay, I think you get the picture. I want to start having conversations about how to solve the types of illness or desperation that leads to violence in parallel to the conversations about one particular kind of violence. Thanks. Shovel.
0: Well, listen, shovel, is that the...
2: That, I, yeah.
0: Okay. Um, shovel, great. Um, listen, there's a lot of flawed logic here, and I I think you're falling victim to the same traps that Republicans would like you to fall into, considering that maybe you're a conservative or not. I I don't know, like, whatever. Um... That you, you weird line there that there also wrenches and toasters exist your analogy falls apart because one violence exists all over the world people are violent in Europe but th- there's not the mass shootings that you see here and as far as the wrenches and toasters is concerned the last time I checked which was just moments ago while Brittany was reading the email um The Las Vegas shooter who killed 60 people didn't use a toaster or a wrench. They used an AR-15-style weapon. Um, Uvalde, where many children died, it wasn't a wrench. It wasn't a knife. It wasn't a handgun. It was a high-powered rifle. Parkland, the same thing. Uh, Newtown. Sandy Hook Elementary School, where 27 or 29, like nearly 30 human beings died, many of them children. It wasn't a knife. It was an AR-15 style assault rifle. So that is the common theme and the common thread here. And the fact that people are violent in America, they're violent in Australia too, but they don't have these types of events on any kind of regular basis.
2: Yeah, listen, I love analogies when they involve food. It really is nice, but it did fall apart completely. And it's typical Republican conservative logic that we hear all the time, which is if we're not going to be able to eliminate the problem of gun violence— then why would we take any kind of incremental action at all, right? That's kind of what they do. They put the goal over here. Elimination is the goal. And, well, listen, we're never going to be able to completely eliminate it, so why would we take any steps at all? Why try at all? And that's really not reasonable. And so we are talking about mitigating mitigating the risks and trying to reduce the number of gun deaths and for that we can look to our counterparts across the world and see that those countries that have taken action on guns have been able to reduce the incident of gun violence in in their countries because they have made the guns less accessible so we we have examples where it works in other countries we just have not implemented that here now our people uh, once, they, once they don't have a gun, are they going to be so insistent on committing an act of violence that they then go and build a bomb?
0: Oh, yeah. That's the other thing I wanted to talk m-
2: maybe. about. Maybe. I mean, I don't know. But I, I think what, what this person is missing is that we actually are having the conversation at the same time of how to reduce violence. And you actually saw this in the mayoral race in, in Chicago, where the progressive just won over mm-hmm. the... Conservative, they they call him a moderate, <laughs> but yeah, he's conservative. And they uh, Johnson is the one who won mayor mayor elect Johnson in Chicago. The progressive was talking about the roots of crime, and the other guy, the conservative, was like the quote unquote tough on crime guy who yeah, wants yeah, to yeah. you know funnel more money toward the police and and was using a lot of buzzwords surrounding that, and it. And the polling suggests that it was popular for the progressive candidate to focus on the underlying root causes of, of crime. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we talk about that a lot on this show. Things like investing in community health and alleviating poverty. All of those things are going to reduce the the risk, reduce the participation in acts of violence. So we may not have specifically had that conversation during our AR-15 discussion on the previous episode but it is very hard when you're having a conversation to in, unless we like have a list of variables here that we're ticking right, right, right. every subject possible off we can't get to everything all at once but i i do believe that we have that conversation a lot about what is it going to take what are the investments we need to make in our society in order to reduce the incidence of violence
0: yeah two things one i want to talk about the the, the bomb thing no, but i'm going to come back to that since you just mentioned the the this investment thing And we are such a fast food culture, we want answers now, solutions right now. And our problems are so endemic that it's going to take, I wouldn't say generational investment, but it's gonna be years down the line. We need to start uh, investing in pre-K now so the children when they become of age to be interested or possibly sucked in by gun culture aren't as interested because they've we've invested in stem and these other educational opportunities for them but going back to the gun thing to the emailers point i don't know where you get that making a bomb is so simple and so accessible that if we take away guns then all of a sudden bombs are the answer because that's not what's playing out all across the world where guns aren't as readily available right anyway Uh, We thank you all for your participation in this. We get a lot of voicemails. We get a lot of emails. And we would love to hear from you. We could feature your opinion, your question, your comment on the show. uh, 657-464-7609. Of course, you can email a voice memo from your smartphone to it at dollamore.com.
2: We want to take this opportunity to thank our Patreon supporters because we could not do this show without our Patreon supporters. So we want to shout out our latest Patreon supporters and that is Sarah D.
0: Sarah D. James J. James J.
2: And Charles S. Charles S. And Ray. What? 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 Ray.
0: Where is it? Does everyone remember?
2: Ray, (laughs) remember the people who were upset about our tone with Ray? Yeah. Well, Ray feels bad about the response that- No need
0: to feel bad. No
2: need to feel bad about the exchange that happened. We've been having an ongoing discussion about trans rights being human rights.
0: Apparently, Ray doesn't believe we were so mean to him that he needed to run away like a child.
2: Well- Yes.
0: He's an adult. We're adults. We talk to each other like adults.
2: Yeah, I will say the main thing he seems to have an issue with is me and how I talk to him. He said he did not appreciate...
0: Being compared to Steven
2: Crowder. Correct. And to that I would say, don't say things Steven Crowder says. uh, If you don't want to be compared to Steven Crowder. Yeah. But anyway, we are grateful to Ray for being a supporter and continuing to listen to the show and and opening his heart and mind to the things that we talk about. And we appreciate that. That's about moving the conversation forward. That's what we want to do. Yeah. So if you become a Patreon supporter, one of the main perks is that you have access to the ad free show through the RSS link that you can then paste into your podcatcher, but also through the a a twice-a-week post that we make to Patreon where you can just listen right on the Patreon site. And there are other perks there. You can go and check them out. And we would love to have your support. It means a lot.
0: Absolutely. All right, let's get into what we want to talk about today. First, um, related to this, this entire gun conversation, it is now kind of dovetailing into the conversation we've been having ongoing about trans rights in this country. The, the right wing is so, they're so good at at adjusting the conversation. And right now, the, the, the same First or Second Amendment absolutists like Ben Shapiro are now, there, he's on board for a gun ban. He is on board for curtailing the absolute Second Amendment rights of individuals, except now it's trans people who he wants to violate the rights of.
5: You have the entire media that has, uh, that has rallied around the idea that Tennessee Republicans are to blame. When a trans person shoots up a bunch of Christian school kids, Tennessee Republicans are to blame. So you have the Wall Street Journal with a piece titled, Tennessee Republicans Face Pressure After National School Shooting. Well, it's the Republicans who are, who are facing pressure, naturally. It's not, it's not Democrats. It's not people who promote a perverse ideology suggesting the boys can be girls. None of that. No, no, no. It's the Republicans, of course. Or perhaps it is uh, the New York Times saying after mass shootings, Republicans expand access to guns. Right? Because, of course, the problem is the guns. It's not the problem of disturbed people, an increasing number of disturbed people, as we talked about yesterday on the show. It's none of that. Now, the, the real problem is that there are too many guns, and Republicans are complicit in that. Or perhaps Maggie Haberman over at the New York Times reporting at DeSantis to visit gun store on book tour days after national shooting. Dems call it beyond the pale. It's now beyond the pale for you to even be in the remote proximity of guns because somebody got shot. That is, that is the way that that all of this works according to the left. So, you're allowed to take over government buildings. You're allowed to do whatever you want. You're you're on the left after all. And Republicans are the ones who are truly to blame. Meanwhile, in in the the second kind of line of of narrative here is is even more perverse than the gun control line of narrative. The gun control narrative is ridiculous in the sense that this person legally obtained the guns. I'm unaware what law would, would be passed that would have prevented this person from obtaining the guns. I'm perfectly fine with banning people who uh, suffer from gender dysphoria from purchasing weapons. That seems to me a pretty significant symptom of an underlying mental malaise that, is going, that could theoretically be a problem in terms of owning firearms. But I don't think the left believes the same thing. But that takes us to our second narrative. The second narrative is that the true victims... The real reason this happened—the real reason a trans man shot up a bunch of Christian school kids—is because right wingers are intolerant bigots. And so the real victim here is not the Christian school kids who got murdered; those are n- not the Christian school teachers who got murdered. Those, the administrators—none no, of those people are the real victims. The real victim is the shooter and people like the shooter. That is that is the narrative the media are drawing today, and it is just—it's vile. I mean, I, I'm not sure that I've ever seen the media turn this much in favor of sympathetic stories about about a shooter this quick first of all no
0: one no one no one is saying that the children killed in nashville at that school are not the victims not a single fucking person ben shapiro
2: yeah that's yes of course he's Known for lying And so we we saw that But also Just a
0: vile sinister character
2: Yeah I mean They're making it clear Right that now They're finding their Limit to the second amendment They believe there are Limits apparently now And the limit is uh, Trans people Right. And the thing is, you know, he's using the – he's using clini- clinical terminology. He's talking about people who have mental malaise is, is a phrase that he used. He's talking about gender dysphoria. Right, which is a diagnosis. And, and that leads me to then think, like, you know, how far does Ben Shapiro want to take this? Because our, does he want to talk about, like, PTSD right. and veterans suffering from PTSD? Is it going to be people who have a diagnosis of depression, anxiety, the millions of Americans who are diagnosed with any number of mental disorders every year? And does he want to have those conversations? Because, I mean, I'm assuming that he doesn't want to talk about whether or not veterans who have a PTSD diagnosis should be allowed to own weapons.
0: Right, because he would categorize them as more than likely conservative. Mm -hmm. And that's going to alienate or isolate a group of potential Republican voters. He's not going to do that.
2: Yeah, and so we're seeing this a lot. I think Greg Kelly on Newsmax just made the same argument. Same fucking thing. Yeah, so we're we're going to start seeing this a lot. But what we're also seeing is a replay of talking points that came out after the Las Vegas shooting. And Bill O'Reilly wrote, I think it was around the time he like lost his show and and got into some Me Too trouble. And he started like writing what was the equivalent of a Substack back in the day, and so I think it was a blog post that he made. Where oh, he, how
0: the mighty have fallen!
2: Where he talked about the the Las Vegas shooting and the mass death that occurred at that event was the price of freedom yeah. is the phrase that he he used. And Republicans, conservatives, they're not always so direct in using that terminology, but we are starting to see that happen again. And especially in the case of a recent appearance that Charlie Kirk made, where he made this, the same argument.
6: Now, we must also be real. We must be honest with the population. Having an armed citizenry comes with a price. Wow. And, and that, that, that is part of liberty. Wow. Driving comes with a price. 50,000, 50,000, 50,000 50, people die on the road every year. Wow. That's a price. You get rid of driving, you'd have 50,000 less auto fatalities. But we have decided... That the benefit of driving, speed, accessibility, mobility, having products, services, is worth the cost of 50,000 people dying on the road. So we need to be very clear that you're not going to get gun deaths to zero. It will not happen. You can significantly reduce them through having more fathers in the home, by having more armed guards in front of schools. (laughs) We, we, we should have an honest and clear reductionist view of gun violence, but we should not have a utopian one You will never live in a society when you have an armed citizenry and you won't have a single gun death That is nonsense, it's drivel wow. But I, am, I, I, think it's, I think it's worth it I think it's worth to have a cost of, unfortunately, some gun deaths every single year So that we can have the Second Amendment to protect our other God-given rights That is a prudent deal it is rational. Nobody talks like this. They live in a complete alternate universe. So then how do you reduce? Very simple. People say, oh, Charlie, how do you stop school shootings? I don't know. How did we stop shootings at baseball games? Because we have armed guards outside of baseball games. That's why. How do we stop all the shootings at airports? We have armed guards outside of airports. How do we stop all the shootings at banks? We have armed guards outside of banks. How do we stop all the shootings at gun shows? Notice there's not a lot of mass shootings at gun shows. There's all these guns. Because everyone's armed.
2: The, the audience for that is the same as, like, Roseanne's stand-up routine audience, yeah, right? I mean, who, you, who,
6: who gets, like,
0: fired up and, like, oh, yes, amen, brother. Who gets fired up by Charlie Kirk?
2: Yeah. <laughs> Well, and especially the... How many times have we heard that, right? How many shootings are there at gun shows? There's so many guns at the gun shows, and yet there's no shootings. Okay, yeah. so this is the same argument that we heard in the email earlier, that we will never get gun deaths to zero, so... Why try? Right, I mean, that's yeah. that's what we heard in the email, and uh, he, it was funny the things that he was saying, why don't we have shootings at airports, and then he said there's armed guards at airports. It's like... You have to take your shoes off, and you you get uh, a pat-down, a very invasive pat-down, and... Well, one of the
0: reasons there's no shootings at airports is because guns are not allowed.
2: Right. There are no
0: guns allowed at the airport except for
2: cops. And there's strict checking involved to ensure that people are not bringing guns into the airport.
0: That only well-trained individuals are allowed to have guns in an airport. Even TSA doesn't have guns at the airport
2: well and they're still going with the armed guards at schools yeah even though you know that has there not... are
0: guards there are cops most schools have a resource officer most schools in most of these shootings there's, there's an armed cop there mm-hmm. and then very in, in seconds they, they respond to a call and they're there too and then what happens they stand around and again sanitize their hands in the hallway while on camera not going in to neutralize the target but the other thing he said, which is just dis- disgusting, is that, ah, eh, we should just expect, this is the price of freedom, y'all. Thousands of people dead every single year in mass shooting, after mass shooting, after mass shooting, that's just the price of freedom. Don't know what to tell ya. It's the same thing as saying, well, yeah, fire. someone screaming fire in a crowded theater That's just the price of freedom. Sometimes people are gonna die in a stampede. That's the price of freedom.
2: You know what you don't hear is parents who have lost their child in a school shooting coming forward and saying, you know what? That was the price of freedom.
0: Yeah, my dead kid.
2: And I support gun rights. Yeah, That's that's what you don't hear. You hear people like Charlie Kirk, Bill O'Reilly, people that have been unaffected directly making that argument. But you don't hear the people that have actually been victims making that argument and one thing that we are consistently going to do on the show is side with the people who are being harmed the yeah. people who are being oppressed the underdog that's what we try to do as much as possible on this show and uh charlie kirk is certainly not in that camp no. <laughs> so we definitely do not side with him
0: uh we'd love to know what you think we want to continue this conversation. Six five seven. 464 7609. Of course, you can email a voice memo from your smartphone to I doubt it at dollimore.com. Dolemocracy facing down pessimistic politics with realistic optimism.
2: One thing we've talked a lot about on the show has been the ongoing sexual abuse crisis within the Catholic Church. Mm -hmm. And another report... For years and years
0: and years and years and years we've talked about it.
2: Another report has been released revealing the scope of abuse spanning 80 years at the Archdiocese of Baltimore. And this involves more than 150 Catholic priests... That abused over 600 children and escaped accountability in a way that has become an enduring pattern at this point when it comes to the Catholic Church. That means that they knowingly are abusing children, the priests, and instead of being uh, dealt with in terms of getting them out of the church, getting them away from kids, getting them into custody getting them consequences that they need they are instead protected moved to other locations where they then have access to other kids and the reason we wanted to talk about this is because like like you said we've been talking about it for years on this show and it continues to be a problem and the priests continue to evade uh, consequences and children are not being protected and instead of conservatives focusing on this which seems to be a pretty important and significant issue.
0: Well, especially by their metric. They're the ones who talk about groomers and pedophiles and sex trafficking and harming children and save the children, the QAnon people proclaim.
2: They focus on the trans community. That's right. And so we we wanted to play a an interview here with uh, PBS's Jeffrey Bennett. And uh, the person who released the report, which his name is escaping me at this time, but I believe he's the attorney general of Maryland.
7: Anthony Brown is the attorney general of Maryland and joins us now. Thank you for being with us. Your investigation found that over 600 young people from preschoolers to young adults suffered sexual abuse and physical torture in some cases by clergy members from the 1940s through 2002 that's the year at which this investigation ended clergy in some cases preyed on children who were recovering in hospitals give us a sense of the full picture of depravity and evil that your investigation uncovered in the church
1: you know that's a, a tall order in that uh, we interviewed as you mentioned uh, close to 600 survivors Um, many other witnesses. We reviewed hundreds of thousands of documents that were produced uh, to us through the grand jury subpoena by the Archdiocese of Baltimore. And what we saw, and we tried to detail in the report, was pervasive abuse by priests, seminarians, deacons, and other employees of the Archdiocese. And this, this intentional effort by the Catholic church hierarchy to conceal this abuse. Um, There was physical abuse and mental abuse. There was sexual abuse and rape. Um, And this occurred between the abusers who had positions of power and authority and some of the most vulnerable people in our society, children, children who are devoted to the Catholic church uh, and yet were abused over and over again by the very people who are entrusted to care for these children.
2: So this was one of the themes, really, of, of the report, was that the abuse was pervasive and the church was more focused on protecting its reputation, protecting the priests, than they were protecting the children that were yeah. coming forward. And oftentimes the children, you know, if they had worked up the courage to go and tell a priest that something was happening to them, that in some cases they actually told another abusive priest who was abusing kids, who then is not concerned at all with the safety of that child, but again, is more concerned with protecting themselves. And so later on in this interview, they talked to David Lorenz, the Maryland State Director of the Survivors Network of Those Abused by Priests. And it was a pretty moving response that he had to the report
7: in preparing to speak with you mr attorney general we spoke with david lorenz he's the maryland state director of the survivors network of those abused by priests also known as snap and he said that this report gives him some sense of relief
0: vindication is too weak a word and i I don't have a better word it is it is a release it's a vindication it's 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 being able to take that off and hand it to someone else and say This doesn't, this, the weight of this abuse doesn't belong on me, doesn't belong on my shoulders. It belongs on someone else and it belongs at
7: the foot of the Catholic Church. I'm sure you've heard a similar sentiment from many of the survivors that you've spoken with. Mr. Lorenz wants to know when your office plans to investigate the two other dioceses that include parts of Maryland, the Archdiocese of Washington, DC and the Diocese of Wilmington, Delaware, which covers part of the Eastern shore.
1: And I thank Mr. Lorenz for his advocacy on behalf of survivors. I had the privilege uh, to meet with the survivors yesterday in my office before we publicly released uh, this report. Uh, And it was clear to me uh, that for many, if not most, of the survivors, uh, yesterday was truly a day of reckoning and public accounting, uh, a detailed report of what they had to endure at the time of the abuse, and throughout their lives since. Um, I try to convey to them that uh, we're listening, we believe them, and we'll continue to be there for them. So four years ago, when the investigation was initiated by my predecessor, Attorney General Brian Frosch, of the Archdiocese of Baltimore, the Office of Attorney General also initiated investigations of the Archdiocese of of Washington, D.C., and the Diocese of Wilmington, Delaware. Those investigations are ongoing. Uh, we have issued subpoenas. We have not sat idle. Uh, my predecessor, I think, made um, a an important uh, and sound decision to focus on the Archdiocese of Baltimore so that we could complete that report and make it public as soon as possible. And now we will continue the efforts to investigate the Archdiocese of Washington, D.C. and the Diocese of Wilmington, Delaware.
0: And we welcome those investigations. Now, look, th- this isn't just a Catholic church problem. This is a problem within any of these insular communities that want to protect the organization at the at, uh, at the stake of or um, in lieu of protecting children. The Mormon church is going through something very similar right now. The Jehovah's Witnesses have had their thing. It is disgusting and sinister that you would hold up the church meaning the particular corporation like the Catholic Church or the Mormon Church, above the health and well-being and safety and security of children. It goes against what you claim it is that you stand for. So I hope that uh, these organizations are held account. I mean, there are archdioceses that have filed for bankruptcy because they can't handle the, uh, the weight of the judgments against them and it the Catholic church from the very top needs to stand up and speak out against this and not keep getting caught again and again and again and again with hundreds of abused children in the wake. Yes. It's just it's just
2: gross. Absolutely. Yeah. So we would welcome your thoughts on that six five seven four six four seventy six zero nine, or you can send an email to i doubt it at One thing we've also been talking about a lot is abortion, and we had Diana Foster Green on to discuss her book, The Turnaway Study, uh, right before Roe was overturned. Yeah, and it's been almost a year since Roe was overturned. Crazy. Yes, and we are finding how important abortion is as an issue in mobilizing voters, especially with the consequential election that just happened on Tuesday. And there's going to be a few states that they discuss in this news package. One of them is in Idaho, where they recently, the the governor, Governor Brad Little, just signed Uh. a new bill into law where they created a felony crime of abortion trafficking. Where if you take a minor across the state border to get an abortion and you do not tell their parents, then you could face, I think it's two to five years in prison. Right. And you will be convicted of a felony. And that also includes medication abortion. And then you have Wisconsin voters on Tuesday. It's going to be like a blend of good and bad news. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In Wisconsin, there's some good news because they elected a liberal candidate to the Supreme Court, which is going to flip the majority control from conservatives. And this is likely going to result in the reverse of the state's abortion ban and also end the gerrymandered legis- legislative maps that have been drawn up by the Republicans in the state. So you're going to hear a mix of good news, bad news. But I think the main takeaway here is that abortion is a winning issue in elections.
8: It's been nearly 10 months since the end of Roe v. Wade and the beginning of abortion access falling solely under state control, with major developments in four states this week. In Idaho, the governor signed a controversial new law, making it a felony for non-parent adults to help a minor cross state lines for an abortion, the first law of its kind nationwide. Planned Parenthood is slamming the measure as extreme, saying it will put young people in dangerous and isolating situations. What would you say to critics who call this unnecessarily cruel?
5: I think, again,
6: it's important that we protect the life of the unborn child. When it comes to minors, uh, what the legislation requires is uh, that parents essentially be informed.
8: In Florida, protests and arrests after the state Senate passed the so-called Heartbeat Protection Act, reducing abortion access from 15 weeks
4: to 6. If you vote for this ban, things will get worse. Women will die. For 50 years, the killing of innocent children has been legal. Legal
8: does not equate to right. It all comes amid a pair of victories for abortion rights advocates. In Michigan, Governor Gretchen Whitmer signed a repeal of the state's abortion ban on the books since 1931.
9: Abortion rights are now enshrined into our state constitution.
8: And in Wisconsin, abortion was at the heart of Tuesday's high stakes election for a seat on the state Supreme Court, now set to be filled by the liberal candidate, all but ensuring abortion access in the state. Wisconsin voters have made Made their voices heard yes. Yes. tonight several more states are considering legislation that would either expand or restrict access to abortions blaine alexander nbc news
0: and it proved to be uh, an historic voter turnout in wisconsin in that supreme court race where abortion the issue was front and center mm-hmm. so it is a a, a motivating inciting issue for voters, and Republicans are now scrambling. They're freaking out. I've read several Twitter threads from conservatives who are like, we need to get it together on this, or we're gonna lose elections forever. They act like they were gonna be received as conquering heroes. In it's like the George W. Bush when 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 we invaded Iraq, that we would be, oh, we're gonna be liberators, they're gonna love us. No, they didn't, and they don't. The same thing is happening with abortion right now uh, across the country. And it is, one, it's good to look ahead to know that people are animated by this. But it is bizarre that they, in their minds, really believed that it was going to be an issue for them that was going to be a winner.
2: Well, and I think that can be explained by their general rejection of public opinion overall, because if they accepted public opinion, they would be progressives.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Because
2: progressive policies are widely accepted by the American public, and abortion was no different, where the vast majority of Americans support abortion rights. So when you come after abortion rights, you're going to have the majority of Americans that are unhappy with you doing that, especially when we're starting to see The negative ramifications of taking away abortion rights in these various states, including in states like Idaho that they just talked about with this new abortion trafficking law that they have created. And in Texas, where doctors are choosing to leave the state and they're having to two hospitals in Idaho have announced that they are closing their labor and delivery services because they can't keep them staffed because of the abortion law.
0: Now, we're seeing the same thing on a different issue, but happening across the country. And like you said, if if they were going with what public opinion is, they would be progressives. The same thing can be said about guns. Right now, there is a fascist, anti-democratic move taking place in Tennessee where lawmakers are being ousted from their jobs, voted out by their colleagues, not by voters— Republicans are kicking out of the chamber, kicking out of, of representative, of being representatives, um, multiple people. Now it ends up shocker in, in Tennessee that three people were on the chopping block, two black men, one white woman, the white woman got to stay. The two black guys, they get booted by the chamber and it's over guns. What I predict is going to happen is this is going to cause voters in Tennessee younger voters to rise up with righteous indignation and take back power that's yet to be seen but it, it is it is it's chaos on the ground in Tennessee right now
10: they walked in hand in hand as the Tennessee 3 Only one walked out, still a lawmaker. Tennessee Representatives Justin Jones, Gloria Johnson, and Justin Pearson addressed their colleagues in Nashville. But Americans all over were also watching. We shall not bow.
4: I have to raise the voice of the people in my district. Our silence about gun violence is the antithesis of what is in the best interest of the people of the state of Tennessee.
9: Power to the people.
10: Here's why the three Democrats had their seats on the line. Last week's protest on the statehouse floor with a bullhorn. They were angry about the lack of debate over gun laws after the slaughter at Nashville's Covenant School last week. Just because you don't get your way, you can't come to the well, bring your friends, and throw a temper tantrum. With an adolescent bullhorn. Outraged Republicans it, here so have a supermajority, more than it's enough votes to expel the, the three the Democrats. DC. What is happening here today is a farce of democracy. Justin Jones defended himself here first, today, defiant, passionate, situation and voted out. The jury. I hereby declare
7: Representative Justin Jones of the 57th Representative District expelled.
10: Gloria Johnson went next, a former teacher who had a student die in a school shooting. It's
3: the guns. It's the people
10: that have the guns because
3: we are not doing anything to make sure that people who are not safe
10: don't have guns. The measure to expel Johnson failed by one vote. Finally, Representative Justin Pearson spoke. I don't personally want attention. What I want is attention on the issue of gun violence. But
6: instead, we're
10: here with a resolution you put up talking about expelling
5: me for advocating for ending gun violence in the state of Tennessee.
10: Pearson, like Jones, expelled. A state in which the Ku Klux Klan was founded is now attempting another power grab by silencing the two youngest black representatives. After the hearing, Johnson was asked why her seat was saved while the other two lawmakers lost theirs.
4: It might have to do with the color of our skin.
10: Allegations of racism were both part of the debate and the reaction after the vote. White Republicans expelled two lawmakers, both of them young black men. Both Jones and uh, Pearson could run for their seats again. But, Wendy, the question in the minds of a lot of people here is, should they really have to?
9: Mm -hmm, Definitely. And, Mark, is there any way to get this decision reversed?
10: no there, there really isn't I mean at this point the the, the legislature has voted um, and what they did was was in order I mean by the by the book according to the way the legislature legislative rules are, are set and at this point you know these these guys the, the, their seats are empty for now the local county commissions in their two districts will appoint someone to sit in those seats and then the governor will eventually appoint a special election and again Jones and Pearson could run for those seats but it, it's just been very convoluted and complicated and right right now there are thousands of Tennesseans who don't have uh, representation and again it's in the minds of a lot of people this this has been a, a real stain uh, on the state just because of the racial dynamics involved and the and the optics of two lawmakers being told to to hit the road and both of them young black men
0: another case of racists not minding looking like racists Here's here's the thing. You're going to hear a lot of people out there who are saying, well, you know, if you want to pass a bill, you, you go through the proper channels and the proper parliamentary procedure and you do what was necessary to get the bill passed. You debate it. You do. If you if you fail, you fail. They shouldn't have uh, participated in a protest with bullhorns on the floor of the Tennessee legislature. Maybe so. Maybe so. But to oust them is extreme to say the least, especially when one of the three got to stay the white lady. Right. There are many, many weapons at the disposal of the Tennessee majority that didn't lead to, didn't have to include expulsion. There could have been a censure, there could have been fines. They took the nuclear route rather than do something more reasonable because. They know their argument is losing. They're afraid of what is taking place. And rather than do the reasonable thing, they did the thing that is going to fire up the passions of the voters of Tennessee, the young people of Tennessee, the reasonable people of Tennessee. And this is not going to end well, in my estimation, for Republicans who are losing the information war and the battle of hearts and minds of, of, of people all over the country.
2: You know, we recently received a message of someone telling us that when we say the word Republican, there is like hostility that underlies our tone.
0: Uh, okay.
2: <laughs> and I thought it was an interesting, an interesting message because it kind of gets to the heart of this discussion that people want us to be "quote unquote" fair and balanced, right? They want us to also criticize Democrats, which we do. We do
0: all the time. But
2: there's a clear difference between the Republican Party and the Democratic Party in this country. And the Republican Party is anti-democracy. Yeah. And so if we're talking about which party poses the biggest threat, we are going to be focusing on the Republican Party. Yeah. Because they pose the biggest threat to our democracy. Yeah, without a doubt. (laughs) And I think that this story encapsulates that well, illustrates that, because... Again, like you said, there were other options here that yeah. they had, but they're trying to send a message.
0: Less extreme op- options, but extremity, extreme is what the Republican Party does best. Mm-hmm. So let's, we'd love to know what you think about this, especially if you live in Tennessee, especially, especially if you live in one of the, these districts of these individuals in Tennessee. 657 464 7609. Of course, you can email a voice memo from your smartphone to I Doubt It. At dollamore.com.
9: It's the asshole of today.
2: Democratic lawmaker, state representative, Trisha Cottom.
0: Trisha Cottom.
2: She has switched her party affiliation. Oh, so
0: she's not technically Democratic lawmaker anymore.
2: Not anymore. But, you know, she was elected three months ago as a Democrat or, you know, ran three months ago as a Democrat and now has decided to change her affiliation. And this is going to give Republicans in the state of North Carolina a veto proof supermajority in both chambers now wow yeah
9: modern day democratic party has become unrecognizable to me and to so many others throughout this state and this country the party wants to villainize anyone who has free thought free judgment has solutions who wants to get to work to better our state, not just sit in a meeting and have a workshop after a workshop, but really work with individuals to get things done. Because that's what real public servants do. If you don't do exactly what the Democrats want you to do, they will try to bully you. They will try to cast you aside.
2: This is an overwhelmingly Democratic district. She ran on abortion rights, LGBTQ rights. She ran on expanding Medicaid. And again, three months after taking office, yeah. she's suddenly switching her party affiliation. And it seems like there has to be something that can be done in terms of like she misrepresented herself to the voters. And she's
0: talking about the modern day Democratic Party as though it changed in the last three months.
2: Right, like what changed? What changed? What weren't you aware of?
0: Especially when you ran on democratic policies.
2: Yes. Uh, The
0: fix is in here. I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but I think investigations need to be done by journalists and investigative uh, reporters to find out where the the influence, follow the money here.
2: What's what's the George Santos angle here? <laughs> <laughs> right.
0: Let's go, Mets. <laughs> yeah.
2: I mean, because you don't you you don't run as a person. I mean, you run it as a person, but you also run as a representative of a political party. Like she ran as the Democratic candidate.
0: Right. And ran as a Democrat, not just as with her name with a D after it. She ran as a Democrat. Right. So what what changed, what influenced this move? This needs to be looked into.
2: And it can't just be that people were mean to you. I mean, come on.
0: <laughs> they don't want to listen. They're not the party of listening. And, and oh, I'm so sad. <laughs> <laughs> Fresh caught him. Oh, So sad. <laughs> anyway, um, that is terrible. She is certainly the asshole of today, without any doubt. But we don't want to leave you in a bad way.
2: We never want to do that. We want to leave you
0: the opposite in a good way
2: <laughs> you have a way with words i am a word smith taken care of biz justine bateman
0: you mean Jason Bateman's sister from Family
2: Ties? Jason Bateman's sister, yes, oh, yeah. yes. I love Jason Bateman. Huge, huge Jason Bateman fan. Yeah, you are. I don't know a lot of Justine Bateman's work, but what I do know is that she is a positive influence, and specifically related to aging. And I think she is probably approaching—I don't know—60. I should have looked it up.
0: Probably should a little older than me, probably.
2: And she is very. I mean, that's a
0: lot older than me. I, I'm not.
2: <laughs> I'll let you.
0: No, I mean, handle and negotiate I'm just like that. when I was a kid watching Family Ties. She- she was older. She was the older sister of, of uh, Michael J. Fox, who was far older than me at the time. So yeah, she's probably 60 or older now.
2: She is 57 years old. Whoa! I had time to Google it while you were talking. Yeah,
0: I guess so. Yeah, so she's she's older than me.
2: Yes. So she is, uh, she doesn't like the word activist, but she's a proponent of aging naturally, not not doing things to her face and not accepting the criticism that comes her way or the way that she looks. Well, when you say,
9: is there beauty in aging, aren't you really saying, do you think it's possible for other people to find aging beautiful? And like, I just don't give a f-. Like, I think I look rad. I think my face represents who I am. Uh, I like it. And so... that's basically the end of the road there you go okay you hit a nerve girl you hit a nerve you have a lot of women
8: saying amen I mean to me it it seems like confidence like when you said I look rad you're like I love me I love every part of me I love the way I'm aging and changing
9: is is it really about confidence well I think it's really about fear because (laughs) I think that everybody has a completion to this sentence I'm afraid if people think I look old, then therefore... And for different people, it's different things. Some are afraid they'll lose their job or never get a job or not get a mate or no one's going to listen to them or whatever. And that fear, my position is that that fear existed before your face started changing. Mm. So it's an opportunity to take care of that fear so it's not leading you around by the nose and making you make other de- making you make other decisions that are not mm-hmm. you, taking mm-hmm. you off track. You've been an activist on this for a while. You wrote a whole book I'm about not it. I'm an activist. Yes, you are, whether you want no, it or I'm not. I'm not an activist. What are you? I'm just somebody who found... got got myself on the other side of that what that fear was for me in particular Uh and i just am sharing what Uh worked for me there's Uh lots of ways to get there Mm -hmm. but for anyone who wants to get free that's what i well that's what i wanted to ask you about because it's it was a journey for you too you were start you said um it started with a google search can you tell everybody about that well when i was writing my first book fame uh the hijacking of reality um uh yeah i had to find some incident that had happened with me and so i did this search and um and then, uh, and in that book, there's a chapter called Acid, if people want to see what, what came mm-hmm. up for me, what that process was. But anyway, once I got to the other side of it, I thought, well, what is it in society as a whole? What are those fears? How did people even get these ideas that a woman's face is broken and has to be fixed? Mm-hmm. And so the book Face is about 47 short stories about um, kind of some of the roots of uh, those beliefs. It, it resonated with me because, I, I mean, I, I remember reading a comment once on, on social media and it's like, what happened to you? And I wrote back. I aged. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's what happened to yeah, me. Life happened. I aged. How do you not? Like... What does that even mean? Yeah, it just what happened. Mean, to I know. You? I don't know. I'm a. I'm a more successful and experienced. Uh, you know, host of a national television like, show. That's what happened to me. I'm what is? Like, what have I you doing? On. Yeah. And what have you been doing? And what is that even supposed to mean? I it think it's nothing I, to it me. Be, it's ridiculous. I do it's agree. Silly. But silly. even it's, and also it's that person is telling you what they think of themselves. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, When they look in the mirror, that's what they say to themselves. So they're telling you about themselves. They're not telling you about you.
2: So I think this is a really positive message, and I like what she says about addressing the fear of aging. Like, what is it that's motivating that fear? Sure. Why do you have a fear of aging? Is it that you... Aren't going to be considered attractive in our society anymore, and what what's the value of that? Are you afraid of losing a job, like she referenced? Um, and the internet is a notoriously vicious place related to comments. I remember, <laughs>
0: especially for women. Yeah, when yeah.
2: when I had to uh, step in and take over for you when you were going through cancer, the biggest thing that I was I was concerned about was the comments section. And then I started getting negative comments about my appearance and my performance. Yeah. And I took it a lot better than I thought I would. Like, I thought it was funny. And I leaned into it and I did videos reacting yeah. to the comments yeah. because yeah. I did, part of me found it funny. And I I am not yet where Justine Bateman is. I think that that she has an aspirational perspective on aging that I hope to emulate as the years progress. But I certainly feel the pressure. And I I want to handle it in the way that she is handling it. Like she is like my guiding light for how to how to handle this. But you know the comments would be oh you're wearing you're wearing a blazer that's oversized and you know right. like I, like I'm constantly supposed to be dressing for appealing to other people and like I'm gonna dress. The way that I feel comfortable, the yeah. way that I like to dress, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. and so I think anytime you hear someone saying things like this, it is just a, a good reminder of kind of checking in with yourself about how you feel about yourself. Yeah,
0: I, I would. I mean, I, I mean, I want to talk out of turn. I'm not a woman. I don't, I don't face the same challenges at all. But also, I think that there, it's such there's such built in misogyny around even women who do get work done, that there's a judgment there. So it's a no win situation for women in the public, especially that if you, if you don't get work done, you're judged. If you do get work done, you're judged. It's just, it's fucking terrible. And people, men and women need to do a better job of checking themselves before making comments like the comments they mentioned in the clip, which are, Oh, what happened to you? It's just, what are you doing? What does this serve it's It's just viciousness, and we need to be kinder,
2: yeah, and I think that's a good point too and I you know, in playing this clip, I did have that thought of what if someone's watching this and they like don't have the perspective on aging that Justine Bateman has, and they like getting Botox, they like getting whatever procedures done that help, yeah. help reduce that fear of aging and more power to you I mean, if you're doing things that have you feeling comfortable. That you're happy with you that make you feel more comfortable in your appearance then that's that's great too, but I think in our society where we have so much pressure on us to look a certain way, be a certain way, that it is inspirational when you hear from people that have decided to step out of that box and reject all of those messages yeah. entirely and say, "You know what, fuck you yeah, I, there, I'm not playing the game
0: there is bravery in it there's there's some sense of of security in not going through the procedures. For the sake of everybody else.
2: Yes. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Absolutely. This is um, a great palate cleanser from the asshole of today, Trisha Cottom from North Carolina. don't
2: remind us.
0: (laughs) We're moving on. We're moving on from that. We want to remind everybody what an asshole she is. Great. (laughs) Good palate cleanser. Justine Bateman, taking care of biz. Thank you, Justine. And uh, we'd love to have you and or your brother on the show.
2: Yes. (laughs)
0: But we'd love to hear from you. You can be on the show as well. 657-464-7609. Of course, you can email a voice memo or just a regular old-fashioned email to idoubtit at dollamore.com. Uh, we would invite you to pro- to to help support the show if you are in a financial position to do so. You can go to patreon.com slash idoubtitpodcast. Choose your tier. Help support the show monetarily. That would be fantastic. You can also go on... And buy some Law & Order President merch that we just released in the uh, in a celebratory fashion uh, for to commemorate Donald Trump's arrest and arraignment.
2: You can also follow us on social media. Yes. At Brittany E. Page. Everywhere. At
0: Dollimore.
2: Yes. You can follow
0: the podcast, too. At I Doubt It Podcast. Yeah, there you go. Uh, we love you guys. We appreciate you very much. We're going to leave you there. For Brittany Page, I'm Jesse Dollamore, and this has been... I doubt it.